bunch of questions about technology, healthcare, healthcare innovation, and how clinicians and patients both benefit. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcome Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. And this week, we are doing a mashup of questions, of thoughts that I've got rolling around in my head from either conversations with clients or just thoughts and conversations I've had in the healthcare space, specifically around technology and innovation and how both clients and patients and even payers benefit from the implement implementation of some of these tools. Now, now some of these are going to be audio clips. Well, it's going to be a compilation of audio clips from some of these questions and they'll just kind of cut in and out. Hopefully it will stitch together in a, a congruent way. Basically, the first chunk of questions or the first chunk of audio segments are kind of high level. What's what's some of the ethical considerations around implementing technology? How might tools like artificial intelligence and technology help us? And then because I'm an occupational therapist, because our last episode was all about RTM or remote therapeutic monitoring, there's a few questions or a few uh, audio segments at the very end all about RTM and how the, how we can leverage the data, how it works from a billing perspective, how it can help improve the continuity of care and patient engagement, all of that. So without further ado, here's a, uh, a random assortment of questions and answers and thoughts on technology in healthcare. I think one of the big areas or ethical considerations that we need to pay attention to, especially when implementing emerging technologies in healthcare settings, really revolves around a few different angles, right? You've got the the what happens to the data piece, which is very big, informed consent, which is very big, and then this whole new, well, relatively new um, topic around artificial intelligence and algorithmic learning and, and all of that. So let's talk about each one upfront and then we'll kind of dive into each. So informed consent. Obviously, whenever we're implementing anything in healthcare, whether it be a new treatment technique, uh, an assessment, a process, whatever, clinically, we always want to get, and even in research, we always want to get informed consent. We want the, the patient or the user to understand what the, the technology in this case or the tool is going to be used for, how the information is going to be used within the context of their receiving care at this organization, and, and everything there. So we want the, the user to understand what the, what the tool or technology or device is, um, how it's going to be used in their care, and then any potential um, considerations, right? Whether it be a risk, whether it be um, an impact to their care, uh, financial implications, financial costs, 
Um, transparency throughout the healthcare system is sorely lacking anyway. So we want to make sure that especially when we're implementing a new technology or a tool or a device, um, that whoever's going to be using it understands all of that, what, what it's going to be used, what it is, how it's going to be used, how it's going to impact their care, and if there's any financial implications around that. Are they, is this something their insurance isn't covering and they're going to have to pay out of pocket? Or you know, is it going to impact their insurance benefits or you know, the, the number of allowed visits or, or whatever it is? So informed consent, put that away. The next issue is around um, what happens to the data and how it's being used. <laughs> so again, this might fall under informed consent. So this is the data we're collecting. This is how it's going to be used. It's going to be anonymized or it's not going to be anonymized. We're going to be reusing this data for research purposes or for product development or whatever it is. I think especially, especially with personal healthcare information, which is already protected by HIPAA and there's all kinds of guidelines around that, we want to make sure that we're just being very... Uh, upfront, transparent, and following the the regulations around the use of that data and where it where it gets stored, how it gets stored, access, you know, who is going to have access to this and who's not going to have access to this. How are we mediating that? How are we monitoring that? How are we making sure that um, the data is not getting into hands that it shouldn't be getting into, right? And then the other piece, the final piece, is really this whole area of algorithmic learning. Uh, artificial intelligence and how that's going to impact care. I think one of the big, one of the big uh, sticking points, if you would, when you talk to anybody around uh, in the clinic about artificial intelligence, you get um, this thought of, well, you know, we don't want a technology to replace clinicians, um, and I don't think that's ever going to be the case, right? Healthcare is a human experience; it's one person skilled in the art of healing helping another person on their own unique road to recovery. Where, where technology has a lot of impact and a lot of potential is around empowering those clinicians to deliver a higher standard of care, right? Clinical decision-making aids, um, using, for example, maybe a webcam or a smartphone to take a video in the musculoskeletal space, which is where I'm from, for example, taking a video of, of a patient's movement and then analyzing symmetries and asymmetries and potential areas to address in a in physical or in-person assessment can be hugely helpful. However, one of the big ethical considerations that we'd want to keep in mind as we're rolling out and implementing some of these technologies is that we are still using our own clinical decision uh, making process and skills as opposed to relying solely on the algorithm or the tool or the technology um, because it's not one, it's not very skilled, but we owe it to the, the patients who are coming and wanting individualized care. So when we're, when we're implementing new and emerging technologies, the end goal should be that, that we are able to take what, what once was not possible, which was super individualized care, um, because everything was based off of high volume fee-for-service business models where there just isn't the time in a, in a given day to spend the amount of time required to individualize a treatment plan for an individual patient. Sure, you can do um, individual factors here and there and rough guidelines and frameworks. Technology really has the ability, some of these technologies really have the ability to, to be very tailored and very specific to an individual patient. So it would be an ethical, uh, it would be ethics gone awry, if you would, non-ethical, if you would, to simply rely on using it just to expand or scale 
cookie cutter or nondescript treatment programs just on more people, right? We should look at using the technology to individualize care, make it more um, appropriate, specific, um, individual specific to their context, their situation, as opposed to um, just taking standard cookie cutter, one size fits most practice that we're applying currently to X number of patients a year and then using technology to magnify that by 10X, right? So that those would be my big ethical considerations when we're talking about using emerging technologies specifically in a healthcare setting. So are there any potential risks associated with virtual service delivery in healthcare, primarily uh, telehealth and, and the like? The way I see it, there's two main risks here. Now I'm gonna take it from a clinical perspective. I'm sure there's like, data security and all that kind of stuff. But from a clinical service delivery, patient experience, clinical outcome standpoint, the two main risks that I see delivering health services virtually are one, using the the service, the platform, telehealth, to deliver the same, quote unquote, use it as a substitute or the same type of hair care that you would deliver in the clinic. And then two would be discounting the importance of human-to-human contact and sometimes in-person services. And it all kind of stems to the same, the same root cause, which is understanding that virtual service delivery versus in-clinic delivery, it's not an either-or, it's really a hybrid. Like, how do we use virtual service delivery to deliver a continuity of care so that the patient doesn't have one of those episodes of care where they come in, they see the clinician, they go about their way for six months, and then they come back. What do, What's happening in that gap? Well, that's where virtual services can, can really come into play is providing that continuity, making sure and ensuring that there's always access or a contact between the clinician and the patient. So instead of using virtual service delivery as, say, a substitute for coming into the clinic. Yeah, you can't come into the clinic, let's do a telehealth service, which can help sometimes. Um, Really looking at virtual services as a way to create a hybridized model of care so that not just are we doing the in-clinic work when you're coming in and getting an assessment and talking with the clinician, but then there's this entire back end, if you would, ensuring that the patient is staying compliant if it's a home thing, Um, getting access to questions if through secure messaging or some similar function. Because what we're trying to do is not replace in-person care with virtual care. What we're trying to do is use all these tools in our toolbox to deliver a more full experience for the patient and one that involves more touch points and more access to improve clinical outcomes in the long term. So how can artificial intelligence or AI be used to assist clinicians in delivering quality care to their patients? I think the first and the most, the the lowest hanging fruit in this area, if you would, would be around clinical decision-making aids and tools. So one of the things that I say as a healthcare provider, as a former academic, as somebody that's still in and out of the clinic every now and then, One of the things that I say, and I mentioned this in the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, is that the the real value that healthcare providers bring to the table in any patient engagement or any patient encounter is the ability to take the vast uh, array of technical knowledge, the very vast, broad 
uh, amount of information that's out there from a technical perspective, the science, the research, the literature, clinical protocols. And we're able to distill that and we're able to apply that specifically to an individual patient's circumstances and situation. One of the great benefits that I see in artificial intelligence is the ability to make that decision-making much more effective from an accuracy standpoint. So think about maybe a clinician who's seen you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, or 40 patients in a given shift, depending on how long the shift is. They're tired, they're at the end of their rope, and they get a complex patient that comes in that maybe has multiple comorbidities or um, just complicating factors, maybe psychosocially at work or at home, um, and where it would be very easy to come up with a, a general treatment plan based on what we know from the literature and what might address the main symptoms in this patient, um, there might be something that we miss because of either a comorbidity or something that maybe there's a, a, a obscure article or a piece of, of literature or research that would be applicable to this patient. We just haven't gotten there yet because we don't have the time, right? <laughs> right? Artificial intelligence has the ability to really bring some of that information into the clinical decision-making process. So perhaps it's a dashboard, perhaps it's a cl clinical decision-making aid or tool in an EMR or something like that, where the clinician is, is filling out the treatment plan or, or the assessment, and they get a prompt that says, should you be considered or considering XYZ, this, this specific patient factor, maybe linked to a couple articles or some of the references, maybe this is something we need to consider. So that's one of the areas where I feel like artificial intelligence can be hugely beneficial to um, clinicians in the clinic facing a patient trying to develop a treatment plan or treatment program that fits that specific patient's individual circumstances and all of the situations going on that are specific to them as opposed to what's broadly available because of their, their diagnosis or their symptoms or, or their pre presentation. Artificial intelligence can help us really root down and get down to, again, more specific healthcare, um, healthcare delivery. And then the other piece is accuracy in diagnostics, right? So maybe it's an algorithmic um, piece of software. We had somebody on the Better Outcomes show on the podcast talking about um, using artificial intelligence and algorithmic learning to improve the accuracy of uh, cardiology uh, diagnostics uh, imaging studies. Um, so things like that are really exciting. Like how many times um, has somebody had some kind of treatment go awry or not delivered at all or they were missed because some tiny little nuance didn't get picked up by the the clinician that was reviewing the reports and not because the clinician was incompetent, but maybe the clinician just saw 200 reports that day and they're going through and trying to do the best they can. Artificial intelligence, if it could screen those, uh, those imaging studies or those diagnostic tests and just kind of highlight, maybe put a little flag for the clinician that's reviewing them, look at this in a little bit more in depth or look at that a little bit more in depth, could really catch some of those potential mistakes that can have real implications for our patients. So those are just two two big ways that I can see artificial intelligence helping clinicians deliver a higher quality of care to their patients. The individualized care piece, so being able to take all that technical knowledge, the research, the protocols, and individualize it for a specific patient, and then the ability just to improve accuracy overall. So as a 
clinician who's been involved on the adoption side of healthcare technology and now is a consultant who's helping healthcare technology companies implement or have their, their products or services be used by clinicians in the clinic every day. I've come across a few uh, very common barriers to adoption or utilization of technology or products or devices in the clinical setting. And they come in really a couple different forms. The first form is just change in general, right? <laughs> right? Clinicians are very stuck in their ways a lot of times. They have their, their workflows and they don't like to deviate from them. So unless the product very easily fits into that workflow, a lot of, a lot of clinicians are just like, you know what, I'm not going to use it. Um, not because they don't want to, they don't see the benefit, but because it's too much of a, of a challenge for them to redo their workflows. So workflows is a big piece. And then the other one is integration or the, the cumbersome nature of having to use more than one tool. So maybe it's logging into different platforms. Maybe it's forgetting a password. Maybe it's trying to, you know, how does the data flow? Do they have to copy their information or their notes from one area and put it into another? Like, how does, how does all that work? So um, the way that I've seen that's been successful in getting over this has been one, consulting with and working with the organization itself to develop those new workflows that integrate that tool, and then staff training and giving them specific examples, specific case uses for in this situation, this is how the tool would be used, or this is how you would just incorporate it into your workflows. One of the questions I get asked a lot is in regards to remote therapeutic monitoring or RTM, what that requires to implement that successfully in a practice, whether it's an organization that has developed an app or a tool or a device or a piece of software, and they're looking to sell that or provide that service to clinics or healthcare systems or the healthcare systems or clinics themselves. There's questions on both sides. Um, who needs to do what, or how do we make this a seamless transition or integration without totally messing up the workflows, the processes, staff training? So the question usually gets posed, proposed like this. Um, I've got this tool. I've got this device. It's going to really help uh, clinics or clinicians with, uh, I don't know, monitoring a home, home exercise program compliance. Let's just use that because that's one of the most uh, common or most frequently uh, used systems. Um, what needs to be done? Or my clients are coming and asking me, or you know, the customers of this, are, of, of this product are coming and asking me how they, how they integrate this without a headache. Who do they have to have involved? So that really comes back to staff training and workflow, right? The nice thing about RTM, or remote therapeutic monitoring, and this is what I tell all my clients or the clinics that I work with, um, or the technology companies that are, that are coming to me looking for go-to-market strategy, is that the nice thing about RTM is that especially for that initial code, that uh, 98975 code, a lot of that is already be being done by clinicians at the point of service during that initial evaluation. They're coming in and the patient is meeting with the clinician. The clinician's setting them up on, on this, let's use this home, home exercise program example. They're, use, they're showing them how to log into the app. They're showing them where the, where the exercises are located, how to track their progress, um, how to do secure messaging if that's a function. Um, so they're already doing that. The question is just, okay, then what do they have to document in order to bill it? And how do they, how do they charge it and all that kind of thing? So that's much of less of a heavy lift than, you know, radically changing the workflows. On the other side of things is the, the clinicians or the, the, the clinic itself using this specific tool. Um, and that requires a little bit of training. So there does require some staff training on 
this is the, the platform itself. This is how you log in. This is the user interface. This is what the patients see. This is what you see. Some basic level training like that. And then it's just a matter of, okay, instead of using whatever free or um, paid even home exercise program that we've been using for years, we're just going to log into the, into, into the new one, right? And that's going to be where we manage all of our exercises and track patients' progress and, and all of that. There are some things for remote therapeutic monitoring, especially for those later codes, um, that you need to track when the patient logs in, how often they're logging in, how much time a clinician is spending with that patient. But again, the, the programs that are doing this uh, at a, already at a, at a pretty sophisticated level have all that tracking in place. So then it's just it alerts you and says, okay, you've spent 20 minutes with the patient. You can now bill that 98980 code. Um, or whatever the code is. I might be off on the numbers. There's too many CPT codes, right? Um, so the, the, the initial training is just the staff training of this is what the, the tool or the technology, this is how you use it, this is how you log in, this is how you train a patient to use it. And then on the other side is the workflow. So when do we bill? How do we bill? How do we document? Some of that will be handled or should be handled by the device or the, the platform itself. As I mentioned before, many of them have a time tracker, for example, or an instance tracker. You can log in and see, you know, patient Smith logged in on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and they did these exercises and they spent this much time or they shot me a message or a secure message. And now I'm logging in and I'm tracking, um, I'm sending them a response. And all the time, this platform is tracking that time and it will alert me, okay, you're at 19 minutes. You need one more minute in order to build that next code. Um, the big thing is really not so much redoing or revamping all the workflows is just changing little habits, right? Um, I don't know if you've read the book, Tiny Habits. I like it a lot. Go read it. Um, but he talks a little bit about like, you just got to floss one tooth, right? If you get up to floss one tooth, you're going to floss all of them. Um, so it's not like we need to do this huge, massive change to implement something like remote therapeutic monitoring. It's really just, okay, these are a couple different changes you need to do in your workflow. And that's going to allow you to bill for this code, for that code, that'll document what is necessary to document in order to justify the charges, X, Y, Z. From a tool or device standpoint, what do you need to do or how can you enable uptake and adoption of your tool, of your technology in a clinical workflow is have some of those uh, case scenarios ready for your, for your onboarding, for your, maybe you have a customer success um, program or something like that, where you've got people that are helping the clinics or healthcare systems implement this tool, having some case scenarios is very, very helpful. Being able to, to show a clinician, for example, you know, patient Smith comes in, you did X, Y, Z, this is how much time it took, this is what you're able to bill, or this is when you're able to bill it. And being able to walk through very specific examples or cases, if you would, of when a clinician could bill for one of the the, ther the RTM codes greatly improves and takes some of that ambiguity away from clinicians um, when it comes to them billing and charging for those codes. So again, break it down into two sides. The first piece is the workflow piece and the staff training, obviously basic training on how the, the product or the, the software works. Um, and then this is these are the, the minor changes you need to make in your workflow to be able to bill and capture that billable time done. And then on the, the tool side or the technology side, the platform side, you need to provide your patients or your, your clients, in this case, um, customers, 
with some specific examples of this is use examples of this is how you can use this tool. This is when it, it's um, this is when you can build things. Give them a couple different options, a couple different scenarios, if you would. And most clinicians, they're smart enough to figure out, okay, I've seen the the example now, I can take it and run with it. But providing some of those tools, some concrete tools initially, helps get both clinic administrators, managers, and clinicians themselves kind of an idea, a concrete representation of, okay, this is how this tool is going to fit into our workflows. So what are some of the ways that remote therapeutic monitoring or RTM can improve patient care outcomes and put a little bit of money into clinicians' pockets? Well, I think the answer to this question, obviously on the, the money side, the billing side, it allows you to capture more billable time, right? Um, a lot of these codes and a lot of what RTM is, um, at least the initial setup and things like that, are tasks that are being completed by clinicians every day. So for the most part, I don't know about you, the clinic that I own and operate and the ones that I've consulted with, uh, the clinicians go in and we have a platform already that allows for secure messaging, it allows for sending of like a home program or um, a, a home uh, home care platform that the patient can log into from home. They can see videos of their exercise involved. They can read information about their um, their diagnosis, their issues, whatever's going on, provide some precautions around post-surgical uh, care and things of that nature. So we're already doing that every day when the clinic, when the patient comes into the clinic, right? They're coming in, they're getting set up, they're getting logged in, they're accessing the system. So we're already doing the work. We're just not billing for it. So that's an easy, that's an easy sell, right? So it is very easy for on the business side of things for there to be a real and calculable ROI for clinicians or clinic organizations that are you going to use or implement or considering implementing RTM in their practice. Let's put that aside. What does it do for patient care and specifically their outcomes? Uh, I'm not a researcher anymore. I don't work at the university anymore. However, um, one of the things we were very big about and one of the things that I, I spent a lot of time talking about on the podcast, in the book, um, and there's a lot of research on the topic, is on that of patient engagement and what that means for and how that affects uh, adherence to home programs or participation in particularly my specialty areas, orthopedic and musculoskeletal rehabilitation. So what is patient engagement or how does that affect adherence to and clinical outcomes in that area? And specifically for the, for the MSK space, there's a lot of research out there that shows that if you have patients with a better clinical experience or they have a, a better satisfaction, a higher satisfaction level leaving the clinic, they feel more engaged, they're more likely to show up to their follow-up appointments, they're more likely to adhere to their um, home programs that are issued by their therapists, then obviously that means they get, and that leads to better clinical outcomes. How does remote therapeutic monitoring come into play? Well, some of these platforms allow asynchronous communication. They allow push notifications through an app or something like that. Uh, some of them even you know, gamify the rehab process. So all of those things um, help keep a patient or a client engaged in their course of care, um, either whether it be providing the information they need or the nudge they need, the motivation they need to complete their exercises for the day or to follow their home program, or giving the patient access to 
uh, secure messaging, a secure messaging feature that allows the patient to shoot a message to their clinician and say, hey, I'm having pain with this exercise or I'm having pain with this. Now imagine if there's some kind of physiological monitoring component like edema management or uh, pain or something like that, then it would be even, even higher, right? So those are just a couple of the simple ways that I see remote therapeutic monitoring helping to improve the clinical outcomes on the, the part of the, the patients that are receiving that care. One, um, it helps keep them engaged and engagement leads to higher satisfaction improved value perception of the therapy process and all of that, which ultimately leads to better clinical outcomes. All right. That's all I've got for now. So what additional resources may be necessary to successfully implement a remote therapeutic monitoring program in an outpatient physical therapy or occupational therapy clinic, an outpatient rehab clinic? Well, as I've said previously in different videos, um, <clears throat> the biggest, one of the biggest challenges for clinicians to adopt a new technology of any kind, remote therapeutic monitoring notwithstanding, is the, what it does to the workflow. So what it does to their process of doing the work of delivering care. So what is sometimes helpful, what is often helpful, is not only to provide training on the front end for this is remote therapeutic monitoring, this is, what, you know, this is how you do it, but then give specific use cases and case examples and case studies. So this maybe this is a white paper, maybe this is specific trainings or Q&A, but something around making it easier or decreasing the friction that is there when you're implementing something new. So how can the data collected through remote therapeutic monitoring be used efficiently and effectively to drive change by both healthcare providers payers, and even patients. Well, I'm a big fan. The nerdy part of me, the, the former academic, <laughs> really would love to see the data from remote therapeutic monitoring, specifically in the field of like physical rehabilitation, be used as a way to quantify, measure, and predict a patient's um, clinical outcomes over the course of care. So we hear about it all the time. Uh, through the literature and through the just clinical um, anecdotal evidence in the clinic that, okay, people that follow their home program will end up better, right? They'll, they'll get better quicker. They'll spend less time in, in therapy, they, whatever the, pain, the, the, the outcome is. They'll have less pain. But it would be really, really good to be able to put a fine point on some of that information, not just say, oh, people that complete their exercises get, you know, 50% better than their peers or whatever. It would be nice to be able to say something like, listen, we pulled the data on the last, you know, 1,500 patients that we've seen or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, and we can tell you that patients that logged into the system and did, you know, whatever, you know, 10, 15% of their exercises, 30% of the time, 30% of the week or something like that, ended up with this kind of outcome versus patients that logged in five days a week and did 75% of their uh, exercises or something like that. What it does, what the data that we're that we can get from remote therapeutic monitoring does, really can not democratize, but it can increase the amount of available data that can be used then to drive, you know, standard operating procedures, clinical protocols, operational guidelines, all of those types of things. And instead of it being one of those general, well, we've done some studies and these are the outcomes. 
um, it gives it more more specificity on, around those recommendations. And no longer is it, well, you need to do your exercises. It's, okay, we know given your diagnosis and what you've got going on that most patients in your situation who complete their home exercises, as an example, uh, four times a week and they do you know four exercises at 30 reps each time or something like that, end up getting better in six weeks or something like that. And that's a much more... Um, much more compelling narrative to a patient than you just need to do your exercises. And then on the the part of like the payers, even I'm thinking workman's comp or something of that nature, some kind of managed care where there's a vested interest in getting the patient better and back to their primary or their, their prior level of function as quickly as possible. Having that data to, again, build the framework around, okay, based off of the diagnosis and the mechanism of injury and the comorbidities, this is what we would expect to happen after, you know, three, four, six weeks of, of therapy or interventions. And then using that as a way not only to, to benchmark um, clinicians and clinical organizations for their outcomes, but then also to build a, a, a treatment plan or a roadmap, if you would, for that individual patient. So those are just a couple of ways that I, I see remote therapeutic monitoring data being effective, both for providers, payers, and then even, you know, communicating the importance of, of uh, completing or adhering to home programs to patients. Well, hope you enjoyed that strung together set of audio clips around technology, its role in healthcare, some of the potential benefits, some of the risks, some of the ethical considerations, and then the discussions on remote therapeutic monitoring and leveraging data, improving the continuity of care. I've said this since probably 2020 when the world went to digital everything, that technology and telehealth and virtual service delivery, while being the way of the future, was needed to be looked at not so much as an either or when it comes to in-person or virtual, but rather as an and, and really moving healthcare towards a more hybrid delivery mechanism so that it's, you know, it might compose a, a, a typical healthcare engagement might be composed of in-clinic visits and asynchronous messages and some patient monitoring and maybe some telehealth, but that it's not either or and that the virtual services don't replace or do the exact same thing as in-person services. Now, I also believe that the value that clinicians bring to the table is our knowledge and our ability to take the vast scope and array of technical knowledge and scientific literature at our disposal and apply it to that patient's specific situation. So how do you, how do, you do that with in-service or in-person and telehealth and technology? I think it's all becoming one of those things that just will blend very nicely. Those The clinics that adopt this and the organizations that adopt some sort of hybrid model will find themselves in a position where they are, especially with the, the onset of value-based reimbursement and the like coming down the pike, that those organizations that begin implementing a hybrid-based methodology of delivering healthcare are going to find themselves in a position where they are doing more knowledge transfer activity or knowledge transfer work as opposed to some of those 
procedural or transactional or fee for service type encounters. You know, the, one of the things that I heard a, a dentist friend of mine say at uh, one point when we were talking was, <laughs> if you're not drilling, you're not billing. And the, the idea of this fee-for-service uh, reimbursement scheme in healthcare really puts clinicians and organizations in a position of saying, well, I have to do something to bill this code to get paid. So I'm very hopeful that as virtual, sur- or virtual as value-based reimbursement systems and reimbursement schemes start coming more to the forefront and become adopted by bigger payers and in more swaths of the population, it will naturally push us healthcare providers and healthcare organizations away from this mindset of we have to do, 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 we have to bill, bill, bill to, okay, what makes sense for this patient? How am I going to help them maybe self-manage, maybe do, you know, manage this thing on their own or give them the knowledge, the tools they can take care of themselves to get better outcomes, whatever it, it happens to be. And um, how do I document that? And how does technology help me do that? In a lot of ways, the, the tools and platforms and technologies that are being implemented today or brought to the market today. I work with them all the time on the consulting side of things. Um, go to strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com if you want to learn more about how I do that. But I work with these, these companies all the time. And what is very apparent to me is that they are developing the tools. They're bringing something to the market. The big problem is that clinicians and organizations are trying, and payers really, and regulators are trying to fit this, these technologies, these tools into this fee-for-service model of paying for healthcare. And, and the reality is some of these tools and technologies are going to totally revolutionize. And I hate saying that like all cliche-like, but they are going to, they're going to fundamentally change the way healthcare delivery is is delivered. It's going to change the way clinicians deliver healthcare services. So what that is going to entail, and I imagine this is going to take the next five to 10 years to figure out, but there's going to be some growing pains associated with how do we pay for this? How does, what is the true value of, you know, this clinician's service in the the greater scope of this patient's quality of life, their health, their their clinical outcomes post-injury or post-surgery or or diagnosis or throughout the course of care. And some of that stuff is going to get ironed out. But the organizations that take the step now in the formative years to begin implementing some of these technologies and integrating them into their workflows and using, using them to make real changes and impact on patient clinical outcomes and experience now are going to one probably have a seat at the table or a better seat at the table when it comes to some of these policies and and uh, things that end up coming down the pike um, but they're also going to be ahead of the curve they're going to be the part of the growing pains that we're seeing implementing some of these technologies in healthcare organizations is the whole workflow piece how do we make it work who has to do what how do we um, how do we make it a seamless piece of uh, workflow, if you would, for the clinician and for the admin staff and for the patient? Ironing all that out of the way now is going to make you much more effective once those once they become the norm. So when I was talking to a, a client of mine who runs a private healthcare practice, and we were talking about it, and they basically said they they wanted to know the money, right? Like, what's the ROI? How much? How many dollars am I going to add? to the top line by implementing this technology, this tool, we'll call it ABC technology. 
Um, and we looked at it and it was marginal. I mean, you're not going to lose money on it if you're doing it right, specifically in like remote patient monitoring, remote, remote therapeutic monitoring or something like that. Like you're not going to lose money. But the reality is while you're figuring it out, there's going to be marginal gains. But the real value is not even so much in the extra fee billing that comes out because of the implementation of this technology, but it's in the data that you have, the improved patient engagement, particularly I'm from the, the physical medicine space, the physical therapy, occupational therapy space, where like cancellations and no-shows and drop-offs and patients not completing their plan of care is a huge problem. It's a multi-billion dollar problem in the industry. The real value in implementing some of these te- tools and technologies is not that, that you're going to be able to bill an extra $20 for a visit, but it's the fact that you're going to be able to retain this patient now for 12 visits instead of eight visits. And what does that do when you multiply it by you know 700 patients a month or whatever it happens to be? That is a value. The improved continuity of care, the ability to retain patients for their course of care, which means that they're gonna be meeting their goals, they're gonna be getting better outcomes, they're gonna be leaving more satisfied, more engaged, more willing to leave you a review or a referral. That, that's, that's the real value now. Sure, at some point, it's going to make sense with the payment scheme and that whether it be value-based or lump sum or however it works out, but the, there's real now, <laughs> real-time uh, ROI to be had by implementing some of these technologies. So. Anyways, that's all I've got for now. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. And if you are a healthcare technology company or device company, you're an innovative healthcare company that's looking to streamline patient care or improve clinical outcomes, and you want to be able to get your product, your service into the hands of clinicians so that they can test it, so they can use it, so they can see the value you provide, uh, then check out the Market Penetration Roadmap. Um, It's how I work with healthcare technology and healthcare startups to get their their products into the hands of clinicians that are going to benefit from them. So you can find that at strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com. That's strategy rehabupracticesolutions.com. We basically take a, a positioning audit of your uh, of what you've got going on. We do some market research and insight gathering for you. We help you develop that UVP for the specific stakeholder you're targeting within the healthcare industry. And then we map out the market penetration strategy for you and your business development team. So again, head on over to strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com to learn more. There's multiple places there to schedule uh, a chat with me. I'd love to have a conversation with you and what you've got going on and if there's any way that I can help. And for those of you still listening, if you or somebody else that you know is doing something cool in healthcare, something innovative, something that is helping improve clinical outcomes or patient engagement or humanizing the healthcare experience, I would love to talk with them and see about getting them onto the show. We're always looking for interesting guests doing something cool in the healthcare space. Again, the the whole focus of the show is innovation and getting getting more to a human or a person-centered delivery of healthcare services or more human experience. So if that's something that you or somebody you know would be a great fit for, reach out to us. Info at rehabupracticesolutions.com is the best way to do that. Or go to the website, 
click on podcast and then fill out the form and one of the team members will get to you about that. All right. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.